Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Chad Bokelman. And this is Lantern Cast Presents Elseworlds. Episode number two. Okay. Uh, what do we got? What do we got tonight, Chad? Uh, we are going to cover A Thousand and One Emerald Nights. This is uh, written by Terry Laban and Rebecca Gawai, I guess is how you say her last name. Yep. And it's based off of the, uh, Arab- it's kind of loosely based off the, uh, well, we know it as Arabian Nights, but it's actually called A Thousand and One Nights. Uh, it's an old story from Arabia. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Very, very popular uh, folklore, folk tales. Um, the one th- one other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, and I think it's you know kind of important to mention, is that you mentioned the writer, you mentioned the artist. The only other person that's really credited in this book is the letterer, Bill Oakley. And the reason is because of the fact that, obviously, somebody had to write it. Uh, Rebecca Gway did like all the art for it. You know, she like did the colors, did the, uh, you know, I guess it's not, not really pencils, I don't think. Now they look like watercolors or something. Yeah. Or so some other kind of uh, artistic medium. And then the only other thing that really, you know, is there is the, you know, the letterer, which he actually does a very nice job in this. Uh, I, I agree. So just want to point that out. Okay. Um, yeah. Like you said, the, Arabian Nights, the 1001 Arabian Nights. This is this is the um, what it's based on is the idea that you know there was a, a king. He kept on having women brought to him, and you know by the morning you know he would have them killed because one of his uh, wives, you know, his first wife I guess, had uh, been unfaithful. So he does he didn't want to have to you know, worry about any of his future wives being unfaithful. So he would have one woman brought in each night and then have her killed in the morning. So that way they would never have a chance to be unfaithful until what? No, go ahead. Oh, until, uh, he meets Scheherazade who night after night keeps telling him stories and she gives him just enough so that he has to let her live until the following night so that he could hear the rest of the story, at which point she would start a new story. And, I mean, like, you know, they say Scheherazade, you know, the greatest storyteller in history, because uh, her life depended on it. But, um, you know, this is where we got things like Aladdin and uh, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves and, and even Sinbad. Yeah. Uh, along uh- with others. And Scheherazade also is the narrator of this story, too, which is yes. really cool. Yes. So you take that that basic principle, and you merge that with Green Lantern, and you get this 1001 Emerald Knights. And uh, I guess I'm going to do the synopsis for this one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So it starts out, you know, you have this, uh, well, you know, king? Sultan. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Sultan. You have the, the sultan of this land. And everybody loves the Sultan. Everything's, you know, prosperous. Eventually the Sultan dies. And under the reign of the Sultan's son, um, Prince Rainer, like all of a sudden everything is like going to crap. Everybody's being taxed like beyond what they can do. The soldiers are beating everybody. And here, like the old tale, uh, a virgin is taken to, you know, 
the uh, the prince, you know, every night, and in the morning she's killed. So, you know, you you start off thinking it's like, oh no, you have this, you know, this guy who is obviously the counterpart counterpart for Kyle Rayner in the uh, Green Lantern mythos, and he's like completely evil. Well, that's when we have Shahrazad, who is wielding a, a magical ring that can create weapons and uh, magic carpets and whatnot. She's going to assassinate the prince so that, you know, the people can be free once again. And when she meets him, all of a sudden, it's like she doesn't kill him automatically. And it turns out that he has no idea what's being what's going on. He doesn't know that the women are being killed. He basically stays in his room all day. They bring him a new woman every night. The woman's just like stare at him and fall asleep for a while. And then he never sees them again. He has no idea what's going on. And his vizier is running everything and telling him, Oh, you're the you're the prince. You didn't you don't need to worry about any of this. We'll take care of all this, you know, until you learn how to raise a kingdom yourself, you know, run a kingdom. So he's living in complete, you know, uh, you know, oblivious to all the problems that are going on. That's when Shahrazad says, okay, well, he's not an evil person, then maybe I can get through to him. And she starts telling him stories. <laughs> and uh, the uh, she, she's telling him stories about a fisherman named uh, Al Jordan. As a simple fisherman who he, you know, comes across a, basically a guardian who right now they're referring to them as wizards from, you know, a far off place. But uh, this, uh, this guardian gives him a magical lamp with a genie in it so that he can take on his evil uh, sultan because he's living in a land that's also being, you know, ruled very corruptly by an evil sultan. Uh, the only difference is that Sultan has a vizier who has a really super powerful genie, like a yellow genie. And uh, and so Al Jordan goes up against the, uh, you know, the Sultan. And he's like, okay, well, I have a genie, so, you know, I'm going to make things right for everybody. The vizier, you know, pulls out his genie and is like, well, yeah, but your genie's weak to yellow, so... You can't really do anything to me. And Al Jordan is sent to the dungeon. Now, this is very typical of uh, the you know story of Aladdin. And uh, the the Sultan, his daughter, actually was like falling in love with, with him when he came to stick up for the rights of the people. Whose name is? Oh, Katma, Katma Tui? Just Princess Katma. Oh, uh, Princess Katma, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of... Uh, similarities and there's more as we go on but uh yeah princess katma she's like falling in love with him for standing up to her father who she knows is evil and so when they throw al jordan into the dungeon she goes and gets his uh his magic lamp for him and you know brings it to him so that this time he actually knows what he's up against and he's able to take out the uh you know, the vizier's, you know, genie. Actually, no, he's not able to take out the, the genie. He's able to, you know, kind of confuse the vizier and eventually steal his lamp. Um, 
the lamps being the analogy for the Green Lantern ring. And I guess this is the point where I should mention that Al Jordan's genie is uh, is basically Quip Kilowog. Yay! <laughs> A nice giant uh, green Kilowog. With hair. Yeah. Nice genie mohawk type thing. So, uh, so yeah, so they take out the vizier. The sultan, you know, he uh, he flees realizing that his uh, his vizier is gone, and Al Jordan uh, marries the princess and becomes the sultan over the land. Um, oh, and the land, what's the land's name? Uh, I don't see it. I... It's in there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm probably on the wrong page, but yeah. You go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Make, make me look like a fool. Um, oh, God. Hold on. See? See? Yeah, no, I... It's Al, Al something or rather. Um, <laughs> yes, this is riveting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Try and make me look like a fool. You don't even know the answer to your own question. Wow. I. It, it's, it's totally in here. God, why can't I find it? <laughs> Wow, we're really prepared. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. That was a shot at both of us, by the way. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, so it turns out the name of that this uh, this mystical city is Alcazar, which translates to the city by the sea. Ah, Coast City. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so they... Uh, they get married in, you know, their uh, city by the sea. And, you know, that's that's kind of the end of the story. But she's like, oh, but there's more, you know. And he's like, oh, well, I want to hear what's, you know, what there is uh, left. And he's like, well, you know, you, he's going to come take me and kill me now because, you know, you only get one person a night. And so, you know, uh, Rainer is like, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I really want to know. So she's like, well, you're the sultan, so you can make the rules. You know, you can tell the vizier that you want me to not, you know, be killed. So he does that. You know, he stands up to the vizier for the first time, who has basically, like, been shielding him and, you know, not letting him realize what he actually can do as the sultan. <laughs> so, anyway, the next night, She's she continues her story, and you know it starts out the uh, you have Al Jordan, the and now the Sultan and his wife Katma. Um, they're they're very happy, and then all of a sudden one day she gets bitten by a garden snake or I don't know, a snake in the garden, poisonous snake. She dies. Now you know he's stricken with grief. He tell he you know calls upon his genie, says the genie I want you to bring her back. Genie can't do that. It's, you know, it's against the genie's rules. <laughs> Much like Aladdin, the animated film. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in a fit of rage, he throws his uh, his lamp into the ocean. It's like, you know, if, well, if you can't bring back my, you know, my beloved wife, then what good are you? Throws it into the ocean. Well, that's when the the old vizier who, you know, he, he wasn't killed, he just got away. He had been, like, searching for a way to, you know, take his revenge. And as soon as, you know, the Al Jordan 
got rid of the uh, the lamp, you know, he, he knew what he had to do. So he does this ritual where he summons these, like, two demon creatures from hell who instantly transport him to Al Jordan's treasure room where he, he gets his yellow genie back again. And, uh, and it's important to mention that those demons, like, they'll do one favor for you, but as soon as they do it, then they drag you to the pits of hell. So they basically use them for a taxi ride to get into the treasure room. And as soon as he had the genie, he used the genie to to trap these these demons in chains, you know, made from pure willpower. So they're they're locked in this like you know dungeon type area in chains of willpower. Now you have this evil sultan, uh, not evil sultan, the evil vizier, who they actually made a reference that he was sinister. So you know they're obviously setting him up to be like Sinestro and Jafar. And Jafar, yes. So he has this giant yellow genie back again. And, you know, he comes, he terrorizes the whole town. Aldradan, he doesn't have his genie any longer. So he just kind of like runs off and flees. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this. I'm out of here. And he goes to live on the beach and fish, you know. And he's, he's doing that. And he basically comes to the realization one day that, you know, Oh, life sucks. I really wish that I had not done that. I wish that I had saved my kingdom. And uh, a magical wave um, comes and says, Oh, well, you know, I'm the, the wizard alien that gave you the lamp in the first place. If you want to get the lamp back again, you have to go talk to the old man in the sea. So he's like, Okay, I'll, you know, I'll do it. It's, it's a perilous journey. And and this is now a takeoff on the idea of Sinbad and his seven voyages. Mm-hmm. And he has to go to this mystical island with these uh, like evil mermaids that sing a song. and Sirens. Yeah, sirens. When they sing their song, like you become entranced. So you got to like go there with like the wax in your ears. And uh, he starts like, you know strangling one until it has to do his bidding and take him to the old man in the sea. You know, very, very, you know, clever way to do it. You know, this the, the typical old fable and fairy tale kind of thing where the, you trick somebody into, you know, doing stuff like that. And so he gets taken to, you know, this, this old man who looks a lot like King Triton and he's got mer- mermaids, like, sitting around him. And... He's got, like, like treasure up the wazoo, but there, like, right at his feet is this lamp. And he doesn't know what the lamp is, but he knows that it has to be valuable for this, this mortal to, you know, risk his life to come down to try and retrieve it. So, realizing that it has, you know, a value to him, he sets him on another journey to go get a, a silver apple from the you know, a, a, a sacred garden on a forbidden isle. And uh, is the the tree of life or something like that? Uh, I don't know, but I do know that there is a story in the uh, thousand and well, in the original Arabian Nights story about apples, something about three apples or something like that. Yes, they're delicious. <laughs> hey, an apple, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think that was the story where Sinbad makes an apple pie. 
<laughs> silver yeah. apple pie. It's it's called the story of three apples. I don't know what it's about, but uh, there is a story in there that's supposedly pretty prominent about apples. <laughs> well, in this in this variation, you have Al Jordan riding a whale to this mystical island, and he gets there and he realizes there's these four enormous like creature guards, and they never sleep, they never rest. Occasionally they argue, but they're just guarding the tree. So, like, Al Jordan is, you know, he retreats to the uh, the coast. And for weeks, like, literally this is taking him weeks to do, to come up with a plan. Until one day a, uh, a like, a treasure box washes up on the shore. Inside the treasure box is, like, women's makeup and women's clothes it's like a woman's travel trunk. So he gets the idea to dress up like a woman and go and, uh, you know, talk to the, you know, these monsters guarding the tree. And she says that she'll marry the mightiest one out of all four. <laughs> so they all have to figure out, well, who's the mightiest? <laughs> and <laughs> before long, three of them are murdered. And one of them is too weak to even stand. And, uh, you know, that's when you have Al Jordan. He grabs a silver apple, you know, takes his uh, his whale taxi down to the old man. And uh, he gets his genie back. And he requests a favor from the old man as well. Uh, because apparently he has, like, super magic powers. So, you know, he's like, well, I don't just want the you know the lamp i want the lamp and i want a favor it's like okay that's fine and he he's happy to do it because he really wanted one of those apples i guess i guess when you got the craving you got to do what you got to do but uh yeah so you know you have al jordan he goes back to this you know his old kingdom and the vizier is all set to unleash his yellow lantern genie and uh the green genie basically turns into a snake and eats the yellow hawk of a genie. Like, uh, lickety-split, no problems. It's like, well, that can't be. Your your genie is weak to yellow. It's like, um, not so much anymore. That's the favor I asked from the old man of the sea to uh, to make it invulnerable to the uh, the yellow genie. Basically making it like a super powerful genie. You know, the vizier has a heart attack and dies. And, and that's basically the end of that section of the story. So now you, you have flashback to uh, to Rainer uh, talking with uh, Scheherazade. And, you know, she, he realizes now that the vizier has been, you know, clouding his mind and, you know, doing things that he would never allow. Like the killing of the uh, the, the women. You know, he never wanted that. The only reason that the vizier was doing that was because he was trying to build ill will among all the people in the kingdom. You know, it's like, well, he keeps killing the maidens. So eventually we're going to stage like a revolt and everybody's going to go along with it because, you know, this guy has been killing our women. Rainer figures this out like a day before they're about to enact a plan and they were going to kill him also in the revolt. So... He, you know, dresses down so nobody can recognize him. And him and Scheherazade head out to an oasis for, for safety. 
then you have like the next night, Scheherazade continues the story. So you have Al Jordan now, he's reclaimed his kingdom, but you know, he, he doesn't care because he doesn't have his, his wife. So he like, you know, he sets the genie to, you know, to save, you know, watch over the town or the, the city. And he, you know, he's got people running the day to day affairs. So he basically just doesn't care what happens. It's like, you know, whatever, they can take care of it. And he's just off on his mountain, mountain house away from everybody else. Well, few days after, you know, a few days later, whatever, um, those demon monsters, which had been trapped in the cave by the, the sinister vizier, uh, well, since he died, they were no longer chained. They were bound by his willpower. So they escape, and before they head back to hell, they decide to take revenge on Alcazar, the, you know, coast city. They destroy everything. They just kill everybody. Coast City is completely wiped out. <laughs> now, obviously, I, this is pretty obvious analog right here. So, actually, there were there were two references in here besides just that to the uh, to Coast City being destroyed. The first time when his wife died, there was kind of a hint that you know the genie can't return life, but neither could the ring. Yeah. Just throwing that in there. That's true. Good point. Yeah, so they wipe out everything. A few days later, Al Jordan in his mountain mountain house, he uh, asked the genie to you know take him home to the kingdom so that he can you know be with his people again. And that's when the genie breaks the news to him. It's like, um, yeah, about that. There's nothing there anymore. I don't know why the genie didn't tell him sooner. Like, this is, like, one of the very tiny few problems I have with this whole story. And it's a very small problem because, you know, genies, they can be tricky. A lot of times they won't tell you stuff unless they're actually asked. But you would think that he would, you know, give them a heads up. But, um, yeah, so the, the whole place is wiped out. So says to the genie, okay, bring everything back. And the genie's like, I can't do that. You know, it's it's against you know, what my makers allowed me to do. So he's like, well, bring me to the makers, you know, because I can't let this go unpunished. So they start going to this mystical aisle where the guardian-type wizards are, and uh, they, you know, they start to clash. And now the guardian wizards all have their own special genies, and they're like super powerful genies. But since... Al Jordan made the deal with the old man in the sea. His genie is as powerful as theirs. So, you know, they're, they're fighting and fighting, and all of a sudden they, like, clash together. There's an explosion. It wipes out the genies. And much like uh, Emerald Twilight, you have the, the Guardians, like, you know, we, we realize now that, you know, it was our fault that the, you know, the evil genie got out in the first place. And, you know, if it hadn't been for us, you know, none of your problems would have happened. And it's like, but look, in this spot where the genies crashed to the earth together and, you know, exploded, there are no more genies, but magically a ring has appeared. It's a special magical ring. 
and they give it to Al Jordan, and uh, it gives him all the power of the genies and more because the ring is not bound by destiny or by, by fate. So anything that he wants to do with the ring, he can. So he immediately goes back to Alcazar, rebuilds the entire city exactly, and, and everyone in it exactly as it has, had been, and he brings back Katma, you know, his wife, as well. This is something, obviously, Green Lantern Ring has never been able to do, but uh, or should be able to do, really. But, you know, it's magic, and so, you know, he's brought back, everything's happy, you know, they live happily ever after. And, you know, then you flash back to reality, you have Prince Rainer, he, uh decides, okay, well, now we got to do something. Let's head back to the city. They, you know, the evil vizier is, like, starting his riots and stuff like that, and the people aren't really buying it, though, because even if they get rid of the prince, like, they know that the alternative is still crappy. So, you know, it, it, the riots aren't going as well as they planned. Um, you have Rainer is, uh, you know, going up against the vizier with swordplay, Shahrazad has got her magic green ring. She's uh, creating green dog constructs and fist constructs, and she's flying and all sorts of stuff that you would do with a typical Green Lantern ring. And uh, Rainer, you know, he defeats the the vizier. He goes out on the ledge, and he's basically like, "Everything's gonna be different. I I'm basically woken up, and uh, everything that's been going on." It's, you know, it's because of this vizier. And don't worry, because now everything's going to be prosperous. Well, the vizier decides, oh, well, I'm going to try and get away. He uh, jumps off a balcony and <laughs> slips and falls, and, you know, he dies. And uh, so you have Scheherazade, who had originally gone to kill Prince Rainer. She falls in love with him. They get married, and uh, he became such a great... Sultan, uh, they they said he even like became a much better Sultan than his father, who had been like revered. And every once in a while, they take a trip to Alcazar, which is uh, where Shahrazad's father and mother live. And turns out that uh, Prince Rainer's in-laws are Al Jordan and uh, Queen Katma. The end. Yep, the end. <sighs> Okay, that was a long-winded one. <laughs> well, I kept interrupting. Please. I, oh my god, that was really long. It's like a lot of 20-minute uh, synopsis. Uh, we're setting records here on the Lantern cast. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta work on that. Okay, so what'd you think of it? I liked it. I have a feeling that if I were to actually go back and read... Uh, Arabian Nights. I've read it once, but it was it's been probably five or six years since I've read it. I think if I were to go back and read it, I would have a much better appreciation of the story. But uh, I did like it. Uh, at first, I wasn't really excited about the art. I thought it was something I wouldn't enjoy. But the the further along I got in the story, the further along I realized this, this is kind of kind of the the right way to present this kind of a story. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it fit pretty good. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's just it kind of 
just just a good story. All I mean, it's there's not not a whole lot of problems I have with it at all. I can't even I can't recall one. The only the only thing I have though is Al Jordan and the Vizier both act like their respective supposed counterparts. You know, they act like Hal Jordan and Sinestro. Right. Whereas uh, Sultan Rainer is I I have problem seeing anything anything resembling Kyle Rayner in this guy. Uh, he's ignorant. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. You know, he seems almost like a child uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but even as I'm saying this, I'm kind of realizing one of the things that he does have in common with Kyle Rayner is the fact that when Kyle first got the ring, there was a whole, like, that whole Heroes Quest story where he's trying to figure out if he's even worthy and he should even be his hero in the first place and and then kind of takes a stand and comes into his own. So I guess there's that, but for the most part, I don't really see much of Kyle Rayner in this guy. Well, I mean, like, I definitely see the analogies where you have this guy who he he was never actually really trained on how to become a sultan. Just like Kyle Rayner didn't have any actual training on how to be a Green Lantern. Right. You know, so they go in from that kind of, um, you know, just not knowing. Uh, you have this Kyle Rayner, he's, he's a definitely a good person. Um, you know, just like regular, you know, Kyle Rayner. I mean, yeah, like the similarities kind of end there. And... They obviously made this Kyle Rayner because this came out when Kyle Rayner was the current Green Lantern. But, uh, no, I mean, like you said, it's there's a lot more similarities with the Al Jordan and Hal Jordan. But, uh, I don't know, this it, it works well enough for me, the, you know, Kyle Rayner similarities. Mm-hmm. And I would I would go to comic shops and I would see this issue laying around and I would always pass it over every time, <laughs> and just because I looked at the cover and go that's not my style blah blah blah, and I just figured you know, it's it's too cheesy to have Green Lantern have a lamp and a genie you know I don't I don't think I want to read this yeah but really really people should pick it up and you know out of out of the select few Green Lantern. Uh, fully Green Lantern Elseworlds tales. This is this one in in uh in Darkest Night is is uh probably the the better the, the best two out of all of them. Yeah, yeah, I uh I had not re- read this in like well, since it came out basically. And when I came when it came out, you know, I, I read through it and you know, I probably enjoyed it well enough and then completely forgot about it. And like you said, it's like, you know, you think about it every once in a while. Like, I know it's in the box. Never really had the urge to reread it. But I will honestly say that after rereading this, like, this is my number one favorite Elseworlds, I think. You know, like, granted the Batman in Darkest Night had, like, an amazing concept. You know, what if Batman was Green Lantern? Um and I love it for that. I love that story for that. It's, you know, it's, it gives you something that a lot of people, you know, would have thought about anyway. But this, this is really just like a perfect story. It's, mm-hmm. it, it takes like a, it, you know, the, the basis from Arabian Nights, which 
is like, you know, a historically revered, you know, amazing book. And not just not just by our generation either. Right, right. Yeah, like for hundreds of years. It's it's been passed down through the ages. It's like an amazing book. And you merge that with the, you know, the principles of Green Lantern. You know, and not to the point where it's like, you know, hitting you over the head with it stupidly, but like everything fits. You know, like the Guardians as magical wizards, the the rings, you know, now now they're genies. You know, it, it, it fits so well. You know, like like I it's said, not forced. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like it's like a you know, you take uh, peanut butter and chocolate, and when you put oh. them together, <laughs> they taste great together. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, it, it's such a good story, and like I said, there were, you know, maybe there were a couple of things where it's like ah, that's that's a little weird. Like like the genie never telling them that the that the the city was destroyed mm-hmm. or the fact that when all the genies like converge together, you know, the, when Aldrodans and the guard, you know, the guardian wizards genies converge and like explode and disappear, a ring is created, you know, like that it's completely out of the blue. So, I mean, from a storytelling perspective, I mean, it would be nice if like, you know, there was some reason behind that or whatever. But it's based on, you know, A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, which, like, that's, you know, completely something that would happen in those kind of stories, you know? Something mm-hmm. just happens for the sake of it happening. Yeah. I I, uh, I agree with you on that point. The When you compare this with In, in Darkest Night, you notice that in Darkest Night, you know, we were talking about how it was zany and stuff. Well, when you, after reading this, I kind of look back on, on in Darkest Night and realize how forced some of the stuff felt. You know, it's a good story, you know, a good concept, everything. It just felt forced. Right. Like, Where, like the Sinestro thing. Sinestro yeah. merging with uh, Joe Chill. Right. Right. And, and somehow even though Joe Chill has nothing to do with the Joker, somehow they become the Joker. You know, they, they look like the Joker. Right. So, I mean, whereas all of this, you know, whoever thought to merge the Green Lantern mythos with Arabian Nights had a brilliant idea because it fits together pretty well. Yeah. Almost seamlessly. It was probably Terry Laban. Hmm. Either I, I would guess it was either the writer or the artist. Well, either either way, it's a, a good idea. Yeah, uh, and like you said, you know, this is this is definitely a book where you will see it at a comic shop. Like this is, you know, basically any comic shop in America would probably have this. This is one of those things where they ordered you know a ton of everything back in the day and. Not everything always sold, so everybody's basically got their spare copy of A Thousand and One Emerald Nights. You know, can usually be found in at least the back issue bins. You might be able to find it in like a dollar bin. You know, if you're real lucky, a fifty cent bin. But you know, the art might not like grab you right off the bat because yeah, this is not it's not typical comic art. Like this mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that you would read in like fables. You know, like this would be like um. 
like a short story kind of thing in Fables. In fact, actually, Fables did a, what are the, 1001 Nights of Snowfall? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, there were all different types of art styles. Like, this would fit, like, perfectly in that. Like, the art, like you said, it it matches so well with the storyline. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's it's really, it's beautiful artwork. The, the story is amazing. The artwork is beautiful. It's really just, like, it's one of the best... Definitely one of the the best Elseworlds. Um, this is probably one of the better comics to come out of the 90s. Hmm. I, I'll go that far. I'll go that far to say that. Well, you remember the 90s very well. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, one thing I did, I did notice, and it caught my eye, when uh, the Guardian's in the waves and he gives J- Al Jordan the, the lamp, it says he's gone just like that. What am I supposed to do with the ring? I, I have um, the first uh, the first volume of the archive editions of Green Lantern. And I went back to the, the very first story of Hal Jordan. And when Abin Sur dies and gives Hal Jordan the ring, there's a very similar scene in which he says he's, he's gone. He's breathed his last. So that little panel, those one, that one panel is like a nice little tribute to the, the original story, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I was happy to see. Cause I remember reading this and thinking there was more similarities to, you know, a thousand and one Emerald Knights. I mean, a thousand and one nights than there was to green lantern. But when I when I when that clicked in my head, I was happy to see that. I was, I did a little hand clap like, "Yay!" <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, you also have the you know the cool idea that the these guardian wizards are the ones that created the you know the yellow genie as well. So it's it's almost like merging the idea that they were responsible for Sinestro. Yeah. And in addition to that, like, you know, it's also kind of referencing the the Krona idea. Like, you know, Krona was one of their own. He did something that he wasn't supposed to. And they unleashed that on the universe. So, you know, from there, they designed the, you know, the green genie to, you know, to help, you know, keep things in order. I didn't think about that. Good call. It's it's a very very well done story. Uh, I mean, and even though we've you know told the entire synopsis of the story, <laughs> you know, it's like it's still it's still fun to read. It's still definitely worth you know going out and picking up. Don't judge a book by its cover. Not with this one. It, the cover is even pretty. It, it's not like typical comic art, but it is pretty. Right, but I'm just saying, as compared to what I usually look for in a comic, that's why I kept passing it over. Mm-hmm. But don't do that with this one. What you call it? You know, it's an interesting idea. The the genie is like weak against the yellow magic of the other genie, and it's kept in a yellow, um, a yellow lamp. You you know what else is a cool idea? I just I just made this connection. This is probably a stretch, but the genie doesn't become invulnerable to the yellow magic until Al Jordan steps out of his comfort zone and does something to get it back. It's like overcome <laughs> like overcoming his fear 
to do what needs to be done. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it's like instead of just, you know, going along, he actually thinks about actually asking for another favor from the uh, the old man. Which is which is like saying, you know, all of a sudden by overcoming his fear, he can overcome the yellow weakness just like with the original story. Yeah. It's a stretch, but damn it, it works. <laughs> it does work. No, yeah, definitely. I'll buy that. You know, like I'm looking at the uh like the demons that the Sultan summons and you got one that's obviously like a Cyclops, which, uh, you know, that's definitely a reference from Simbad. Um, the bird creature. Tomar Ray. I mean, yeah, it's kind of Tomar Ray. I don't know. It might also be a, a Simbad kind of reference, but uh, I, I don't understand why it would be Tomar Ray, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Like, I was looking at him, and it's like, you know, it's like, is one representing Evil Star and the other one Hector Hammond? Or <laughs> no, that that's that's way too much of a stretch. Yeah, the the only other similarity I noticed actually has nothing to do with Green Lantern. <laughs> when when uh, we get when we get the shot of the uh, the four creatures guarding the apple tree, yeah, the 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 one that looks like kind of like a boar reminded me like the the second I saw him. I was like, how did Bebop make it into this storyline? <laughs> Bebop from uh, Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles. For those, I didn't know what you if you knew your TMNT. I know my TMNT. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I could swear that they like they remind me of something else, but I'm not sure what that is. Oh, what? Oh, the um. Oh my god. There was something in either the late eighties, early nineties, where there were like these uh pig commanders. Like what? it was like pig commandos, like I think it was called like barnyard commandos or something like that. <laughs> and you had these pigs and like like the whole draw for it was the the pigs like spoke pig Latin. <laughs> Or they they came with like uh, like a little like cheat sheet on how to do pig Latin or something like that, and then you had the sheep. I think they fought the sheep. I don't know this. Okay, whatever. I swear I'm not drunk, people. <laughs> <laughs> not for this episode, but yeah. I do I do have a bottle of Jack next to me, but I'm not drinking it right now. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So you said that's that story came out of the eighties, huh? Late eighties, early nineties. Yet another thing we can forget about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to wonder why. You know, you have this this tree with these, you know, silver apples of life. Um, why did he only take one apple? I are they? What is the does it ever say what the magical properties of that are? No, it ever... no, I, I, I'm pretty sure it just he he makes the deal, you know, that if you want it, you have to go get, you know, this special apple, silver apples that grows on the tree of eternal life. Oh, it's the oh. tree of eternal life. Okay, okay. Well, I guess that would explain it. 
I'm a I'm a fan of Thor, as I'm sure a lot of people who listen to the Larfleeze report are quite aware. Oh. But in in Thor, for those of you who don't know, the Asgardians also have a tree that produces apples that are have magical properties. That's how the Asgardians maintain their youth and live eternally. And except they're the golden apples of I think it's called I think the way you pronounce it is Edune or something like that. But just just there is that tie there. I don't I don't know if it means anything at all, but now that I realize it, I kinda like that. Well, uh the, the Greeks also have the you know, the tree that produces the uh you know, fruit that lets you live forever. Yeah. So that's probably just uh you know, just a common theme in throughout mythology. Um, and speaking of Thor, one of those creatures guarding the, uh, the tree, mm-hmm. if you look at his, uh, his armor, kind of looks like Thor's breastplate. Oh, okay. Yeah. The kind of like dog looking creature. Yeah. <laughs> Nor, <laughs> Gnort gone bad. <laughs> yeah. And with, with a few pounds on him. <laughs> Gnort's ancestor. <laughs> anything else uh, i don't really uh i don't really think there's too much else to, to add to this i think it's into i uh, like i i, I could kind of see them setting it up i i completely had forgotten but i could kind of see them setting it up anyway that scheherazade would turn out to be the daughter of al jordan and uh and katma yeah which is how she got the ring yeah like she's telling stories but they're not actually stories they're things that actually happened to her father mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's fantastic it's just a really really great story go pick it up definitely and if you can pick it up cheap all the better <laughs> <laughs> okay so um next up we have some uh, a little bit of feedback from the first Elseworlds episode. JD. Yes, JD74 on the forums. Um, he, uh, he posted a question for us. He says, uh, I love the Elseworlds imprint. The stories were imaginative and very interesting to see what would happen if something different happened. Looking forward to the next episode of this for sure. Here's something to think about. I wonder what stories DC could have done if one of these people had gotten the power of Green Lantern. And he gives four possibilities. Lex Luthor, Jor-El, Wonder Woman, and Carol Ferris. I have an idea for Lex Luthor, and it's, and it's the one I'll need the most time for. But I have no idea about Wonder Woman because I really am not familiar with the character. <laughs> but I do have another uh, a couple of short ideas for Jor-El and Carol Ferris. Jor-El... For those of you who haven't read the uh, read the um, Superman Last Family of Krypton, okay, all three issues are out. Go get it. Uh, the third issue has something to do with Green Lantern in the beginning, but um, Jor El in that storyline basically gets power hungry, and because he sees all the humans as uh, as weak and needing protecting. And they can't fend for themselves. And I have a feeling if Jor-El were to get the ring, he might act the same way on Krypton. He might figure, like, the council is 
is too weak or too stupid to understand what's going wrong with the planet. And he might forcibly remove them to another planet. You know, some kind of storyline like that would happen. Yeah, no. Um, for jor I think... I don't think that he would act the same way on, on Krypton. Because, like, these were people who who had the benefit of Kryptonian science and evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they had... The, the same history and experience that Jor-El had. Um, so I don't think that he'd look at them the same way as far as needing the same kinds of protection. I guess, like, for me, like, what it would really come down to is would he try and say, like, because I'm picturing he gets the ring, like, about five minutes before the planet's about to explode. Um in which case, you either have the situation like uh, Superman, last son of Earth, in which case you have Clark Kent. The principle of that is Clark Kent on Earth. You know, he gets rocketed to Krypton when they thought Earth was going to explode. And once he gets to Krypton, you know, he is chosen to become a Green Lantern. And, you know, just in the nick of time, he's able to save Krypton from exploding by releasing the pressure from the core, and, you know, it saves, saves everything. So I think either Jor-El would do something like that, or he would use the ring to, you know, create, like, uh, a ship to at least get him and his family off of uh, Krypton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he could, if he had the willpower, he would bring more. Like I, I that that's the the only thing that I would be you know, kind of curious about. Like, would he have the strength to kind of like just put everybody on a, like a life lifeboat kind of super ship, and bring it somewhere else where they could survive? Yeah, I guess I could see that. Ha- I mean, having read um, Last Son of Earth, yeah, I could see that. But just my most recent exposure to Jor El has been that storyline, and when I read it it made sense to me that Jor-El would start acting like that. Mm-hmm. Which is the only reason that kind of power-hungry thing stuck in my mind. It's possible. You know, like, cause even though the Kryptonians don't need that same kind of protection, you know, like, I guess as, as a society, they were getting fairly stagnant. So I guess maybe using the ring, he could, you know, help them in other ways. Yeah. And then get power-hungry. Uh, you want to do Carol? Uh, Yeah. I, the only idea I have for her isn't really much of an idea at all. It's really, I do not see Carol Ferris as Green Lantern material at all. And maybe that's just my lack of interest in the character as a whole, or just not understanding her very well. Um, I do, I do like the, what's been going on recently in the Green Lantern storyline, the, the current storyline with her and the Star Sapphires. There's a couple things that bug me about that. But regardless, I still don't see her as Green Lantern material. Yeah. So if she, if she were to get the ring, I would think that she would try and do her best. But knowing who Hal Jordan is, at the end of the story, she might end up giving it to him instead. And that's really my only idea uh, with that. Yeah, you know that's that's actually a really good point, and that that might actually make for a pretty good story if it ended that way. And you know, I guess what it comes down to is one of the the main things. Like, 
that made Hal Jordan, you know, capable of of wielding the ring is like watching his father crash. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, after that moment, like he became like you know fearless to the point where like he just didn't care, you know, about what you know the consequences of his actions. So like you know that 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 formative thing set him up to be Green Lantern. You know, Carol, like, she was there, too. But it didn't, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the same effect if it's not your father. So, you know, like, the other thing is Carol Ferris now, I think she would have a much better shot at being able to wield the ring. But Carol Ferris, like, when, when Hal Jordan got the ring, I think she was, like, way too unsure of herself to be able to actually do much good with it. Yeah. I mean, I could see her starting off with in good intentions, you know, seeing something and saying, I got the power to fix it, you know, because after Hal Jordan's father died, I mean, most of the storylines uh, I've seen shows that, you know, her father felt real bad and always carried that guilt and, you know, it took a toll on him mm-hmm. where and, you know, she being raised in that kind of environment, she would always try and, you know, make make. Uh, all the wrongs right again and i could see that storyline where she starts off intending to do something good but eventually gets either sick of it or something happens that she couldn't control or she gets weighed down by the responsibility and gives it to hal yeah yeah now that that would make for a good story wonder woman next go ahead because i have no idea i just don't know anything about that character yeah um you know, you have to think that somebody like Wonder Woman would kind of use it like uh, the same way that Batman would react to a ring, like when he was given it in, um, you know, this current series of Green Lantern, mm-hmm. where Hal's like, you know, try the ring on and, uh, you know, see what happens. And he's basically like, you know what? Yeah, this isn't for me. It's it's the, the principle that you have a hero who relies on their own abilities and they don't really, you know, like something like a Green Lantern ring is kind of, it's, it's like cheating. <clears throat> and I think uh, one of the things that makes Batman and Wonder Woman like kind of have that, that attraction to each other is like between the two of them, they're like, they're warriors and... They do, you know, they rely on themselves rather than a weapon like a Green Lantern ring. I don't, I don't think it would be a very good match for her. I think, I think she has the willpower to be able to wield one to, you know, at least like, you know, fight crime with it. But I don't see her, uh, you know, it, it's like giving a ring to Hanu, you know, yeah, maybe he'll use the ring like, you know. Every once in a blue moon, but typically speaking, it's you know, she's just going to rely on herself. Yeah. The only the only exposure I've ever had to Wonder Woman is from the Justice League series, and I just bought all that on DVD the other day and watched it all in a row. Great Hera. Yeah, she says that way too much, <laughs> way too much. <laughs> and uh, I even from that series, I don't, I don't see her in a Green Lantern. Uh, fashion at all. Uh, and finally, Lex Luthor. Okay. This this might sound weird, but I think 
if we were to if we we're to base uh, the continuity of DC off of in Darkest Night, where Batman be uh, gets the ring before Superman makes a public appearance, I would say Lex Luthor might actually make a good Green Lantern. He might. He, I could see a cool storyline in which he's the good guy, <laughs> and he's and he's he's because and here's here's why. Because in, I believe in almost all storylines now regarding Lex and his and the reason he despises Superman. I've got I've got Superman Red Sun or not Red Sun, Last Sun, in front of me. And for those of you who don't know, that's a story where um, a kid from the Phantom Zone who turns out to be uh, General Zod, General Zod's son, crash lands on Earth, and then this whole the Phantom Zone breaks open and this whole thing ensues and Superman has to go to Lex for help. But in this storyline, Lex says something that I believe is, is the reason he hates Superman. And I believe most of the stories have stuck with this since Superman says something like you underestimate the people of, of Metropolis and Lex says, and you overestimate them. And then he goes on to say, they need someone to wake them up. They need someone to show them they can reach the stars without you flying them up there. They need someone human to aspire to. If not for you getting in my way, Superman, that would be me. I would have done so much more for humanity already. I would have helped those who can't walk, walk again. I would have cured cancer. I would have saved the world from the filthy pit of its lack discal existence. You leap over tall buildings. You outrun speeding bullets. You juggle locomotives. How does that inspire anybody to be a better human being? Which, when I read that, I was like, you know what? Lex isn't a psychopath. He's got a point there. You know? Well, I mean, I. Well. Okay. 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 <laughs> that is. That's always Lex Luthor's excuse. The only thing is, the only time that Lex Luthor has actually, like, done that is in the Elseworlds tale uh, Superman Red Sun. Like, numerous times, you know, Lex Luthor, he, he always uses that excuse. He's like, you know, if it wasn't for Superman, you know, I, I would have done this, I would, I would have done that, and, you know, everybody would, you know, I'd be the hero for, for the entire Earth. And... I don't, I don't remember where, but, and I'm sure that it's probably come up more than once. Superman confronts him and says, Lex, nobody's stopping you from doing that stuff. You know, like you, you do evil stuff. You know, you could just as easily be coming up with cures for cancer and, you know, cures for this and, you know, solve the energy crisis and it would outshine what I do. But, you know, you're so hung up on, you know, not being me that you never do any of that. And, you know, one has to think that even if I wasn't here, then would you even do any of that? Or would you just exploit everybody's, you know, stupidity and make yourself like a ruler of all men? Okay, but I still see a good storyline in which Lex could make a good hero. I could see it happening. Maybe not specifically based off of this, but 
I think Lex is given the bad rap too many times. I think seeing a storyline where he gets to play the hero could be refreshing. And it could make a good story. You know it would make an awesome story. What? If you give Lex Luthor the ring before Superman, you know, becomes, you know, uh, it makes his presence known. Right. And then, and so Lex Luthor is a hero. And then all of a sudden Superman becomes a hero. And, you know, there's like, you know, vying for supreme popularity. Mm-hmm. And like, and it turns out Lex Luthor, like, you know, eventually devolves into like, almost like a Sinestro type character. And Superman, you know, being his, his major nemesis. But it would be cool because it would be like Superman versus Lex Luthor if Lex Luthor had powers to actually be, you know, in the same weight class as Superman. Yeah. That would be cool. I could see that. That'd be a cool story. Mm-hmm. What are you, what are your thoughts on Lex Luthor? I don't I don't have a specific storyline in mind. I just think that he could I could, could see him being a good Green Lantern. I mean like well well, I mean from the point of view of the willpower, like he obviously has willpower. Mhm. So so by that token, he could operate the ring. But he would never be given a ring because he lacks honesty. <sighs> I mean, you have to remember that I think in like the current continuity, Lex Luthor killed his parents so that he could inherit LexCorp earlier and you know and become like, you know, the major mogul that he would eventually become. Okay, but well, we're talking an Elseworld story here. Mm-hmm. So let's assume something happened in which he didn't... Like, he lived a life to where he became the billionaire we all know, or the smart billionaire we all know. But he... Something happened in the continuity that he didn't kill his parents or whatever. Whatever that led him down the road to being evil in the first place. Maybe maybe you could tie it with the initial crash of Superman uh, or of Kal-El on planet Earth and somehow you know, tie that together and say if it had crashed somewhere five miles different, you know, something like that. If they hadn't run each into oh. each other at Smallville. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, like... This is Elseworlds. We can change stuff. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, from that premise, if you have it so that you have Lex Luthor and he's, you know, he's in Smallville or whatever with his parents and Superman ship comes down wipes out Lex's parents, you know, Lex, like, runs away or whatever because, you know, his parents just died. He now, like, you know, grows up, like, uh, you know, wanting to protect people from having to deal with the same thing that he did. He's given a Green Lantern ring, you know, so that he can save the Earth from alien menace. And then Superman, you know, comes out. It's like, oh, here, I'm here to help you out and save the day. And you have Green Lantern, who's uh, you know Green Lantern Lex, who's almost like a Daxamite in that he doesn't want any aliens on the Earth because he knows what happened to his parents. But uh, that would be cool. That would be awesome because then it's like, well, you know, Lex is fighting for good, you know, because you know his parents were killed. But Superman, like you know, that Superman's good also. So 
who do you root for in that situation? I told you Lex would make a good Green Lantern. <laughs> now, there's definitely story potential there. Okay. Are we good on this episode? Uh, I believe so. Uh, and I will say it again. If you have not read Last Family of Krypton, go get it. Because I think, Jim, you were right last episode. This is like a test in sales to see if they are going to bring back the Elseworlds line. Yeah. So, and it, it really is worth it. At five bucks an issue, I'm telling you it's still worth it. There are no ads in these issues. It is straight story. So it's worth it. And there is a Green Lantern, a, a good couple of pages of Green Lantern reference in the third issue. So go pick it up. Yeah, I don't... Well, I mean, at this point, I don't necessarily know if them buying it would have an impact on the sales. Shut up, Jim. <laughs> Realistically, I think if we really wanted to, uh, you know, make uh, make make the fandom known, probably should have uh, had everybody pre-order like two copies each month. But uh, that ship has sailed, so. Yeah, go go pick it up. Support support Elseworlds. Maybe they'll bring them back. I mean, it would be nice if they brought them back and the issues didn't cost freaking five dollars. You know, like like realistically, like okay, yeah, the Elseworlds premise is great. Um, you know, just alternate blah blah blah. We love Elseworlds, but when you have not done an Elseworlds in I don't know, like what was it, a decade? Uh, yeah, I don't remember when the last Elseworlds was, but you started up again, you know, this year, and your initial offering is a three-part series that's going to end up costing people 15 bucks. Now, granted, they are oversized, they are a nice format, um, there's no ads, it's, it's not like you're getting cheated. You know, I, I'm sure that if you look at the, the price per page... You know, it, it'd actually be comparable to, you know, or better than a, a two ninety nine price point comic. But but still, like, wouldn't you want to let people, you know, kind of get a better judge of what Elseworlds is? Because there's, there's got to be plenty of people, you know, fans out there now that were not around when Elseworlds were coming out originally. You know, maybe they've gone back and, and looked into that, but... If you're like a, a fairly new comic buyer, you've never heard of Elseworlds before. It's an interesting concept, but you know, five dollars for the first issue is kind of steep. I'm just saying that they could have made it more accessible. I guess I could see that, but I, I, I think another way they could approach it is they could put out like a one of those uh, cheap nine dollar showcase volumes. The ones that are in black and white. Yeah. They could put out one of those just binding a bunch of popular Elseworld stories well, and, and do it that way. That that could be cool. Yeah, that even, could help sales. It, 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 that would definitely help. But even if they did a trade paperback, you know, mm -hmm. they've never, well, I mean, they've traded a few, but like they've never traded like single issues. Yeah. So that would definitely be cool. Even if they went for like one of those DC Comics presents, 
where it's like, you know, just have like uh, a couple of Elseworlds in there and charge like nine bucks for the thing. Oh, good point. I wanted to bring this up. I'm sorry. Uh, just quick tangent. Uh, the Lantern, the Larfley's report that I mentioned, those, uh, those uh, DC Comics presents, I said they were trades. That's not really true. They're actually, they're, they're just like big issues, really big issues. They, they don't have uh, a glossy cover or a hard cover or anything like that. They're, they're just like 100-page issues. So I just wanted to let everybody know that while I was thinking about it. Oh, and since you mentioned it um, inadvertently, when you said tangent, in Justice League of America number 50, which is on newsstands now, mm-hmm. you know, comic book stands, um, there is actually a uh, an appearance by the Green Lantern from the Tangent Universe. Wait a sec. You're telling me you continue to pick up JLA even after this whole brightest day crap that you got drunk to talk about? Absolutely not. But I did flip through it when I went to the comic book store and I saw <laughs> the uh tangent Green Lantern. Okay. So I'm I, just I'm I, spreading the word. I have to admit the Van Skyver cover looked cool. Yes. I probably I probably would have picked it up, but it was like it was at least four dollars. I don't know. That that might have been five dollars too. It was like a big giant oversized issue, but uh, yeah. So I think that'll do it for this episode of Lanterncast presents Elseworlds, episode two. Episode two. I have no idea what we're gonna do for episode three. I'm sure. But it'll you be guys good. need to. You guys need to leave voicemails. Well, do it. Hopefully, our voicemail number is working. <laughs> So, okay, so uh, if the voicemail number isn't working, then uh, you could still leave messages on the forum. Um, you know, and again, you know, like, like JD did, send us some questions and uh, we'll answer them at the end of the episode. So, yeah, I guess uh, if you want to check us out, lanterncast.com. The email for the, the whole cast is lanterncast at gmail.com. Or Chad and I both have email addresses, Jim or Chad at lanterncast.com. Which I have no idea how to access or log in or anything. Yeah, but I'll, I'll get you that information eventually. Okay. <laughs> uh, and our, our producer, James, at James is at lanterncast.com also, if you have any questions for him. Go to our forum. All our episodes are on there. Go to our, go to our website. <laughs> and all our episodes are on there. There's a link to our forum. There's a link to our Facebook page. It links to a whole bunch of different stuff and uh, a voicemail there's, number. What? Yeah, there's a link. There's a link to a, an extra forum in case the regular forum's down. That's true. Yeah, we we like to be prepared at the Lantern Cast. <laughs> and there's a voicemail number that may work, and that number is two zero six three three seven one five seven nine. So. And if it's not if it's not working by the time this episode goes up, uh, we'll be sure to put the new number in the show notes if we do get a new number. That sounds pretty ambitious. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah, and we're on iTunes. So if you want to download us from iTunes, that is possible. Just be sure, please, if you can, leave a review. Yeah. Oh, and 
I, I guess it's worth mentioning that the Elseworlds, you know, the, the Land, Lanterncast Presents Elseworlds podcast is in the regular Lanterncast feed. Yes. So we're not going to do any fancy stuff around that. We're just going to keep it all together. Oh, we might. We might if it gets really, really popular. No, no fancy stuff. <laughs> no fancy stuff. I put my foot down. No fancy stuff. <laughs> hey, man. Co-host. I have some say. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, folks. We'll uh, we'll be back in about a month, roughly. Yes. So long. Good night.